0: Thanks for listening. Uh, this is Kino Kingdom, and this is episode 67. Um, and I'm going to launch into it, Rupert, with um, have you used Paramount Plus at all? I have used Paramount Plus,
1: yes. <laughs> oh, really? How did you... What was your experience with it? Well, I use it through Amazon, and as we know, Amazon is clunky, <laughs> unless you're idly just flicking through without any idea what you want to watch i suppose because it seems pretty randomly arranged um when
0: you, so i'm just trying to
1: think through Amazon, or through, through like prime because i've yeah. got it on my
0: xbox prime video okay. right uh, i am um, i i've been trying to get paramount plus um for for a while because my son watches uh the adventures of paddington which is a brilliant uh brilliant like so, um cg sort of show and but I'm those twenty six episodes, Rupert. I've seen them. <laughs> I've seen them more than once. I've seen them more than once. I've probably seen those twenty six episodes of Paddington more than I've seen series four, five, and six of Red Dwarf in my entire life, Oof. and that is a that is a lot. <laughs> um, so I mean, we've all seen Quarantine, um, but so. The mythical mythical third series uh, of Paddington, of course, yeah. it's only available on Paramount Plus. So Paramount Plus, it, it doesn't, it, it didn't appear to exist. It appeared to only exist in like whispered myths over campfires. And then yeah. one day, I was just scrolling through Prime, possibly looking for an action film starring Jeff Speakman, and it it just said, "Oh, Paramount Plus seven day trial." I thought. Oh my god! I can watch those new episodes of Paddington. I don't have to blow my brains out. So I put the gun away, and I I thought, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a good seven days worth of this before cancelling the trial. Let me tell you, uh, and it was well, what a seven days it was. What a roller coaster of emotions Paramount Plus took me on. Rupert, uh, because when I I bear in mind I use Amazon Prime all of the time, right, all of the time, and I've never had any problem with it. Uh, I, the only other problem I've had trouble with was something on Sky where it kept buffering some bizarre chat. You know what they call free freebies or whatever they are free, with freebie. Yeah. Yeah. Where like a free just, version
1: of Prime, basically, isn't it? Yeah, where it shows it has adverts and they're always buffering.
0: It's really bizarre. Anyway, Paramount Plus, boom, straight on. Uh, Paddington, uh, press plate, Could could hear the music. Could hear the theme tune. Sung by Gary Barlow. The best thing he's ever done. Couldn't, couldn't see anything, unfortunately. Couldn't see anything wow. with my
1: eyes. That's so, quite a key oversight uh, when it comes to a streaming service, is
0: not it? I do believe, uh, and I I may be paraphrasing, but Stanley Kubrick said, seeing things is part of the cinematic experience.
1: He did. He it's, was a wise man.
0: Yeah. He said, in the 60s, he said, podcasts are all well and good, but you need to, <laughs> you're watching a film, you need to see. Like he said, I spend a lot of my time on things that people will see. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so I was like, oh, oh, maybe it's a problem with that. So I reset it, and, and it, it came up. And then it, it came up, and it was fine. But it was just – this is something that I don't think has ever happened on anything ever before, just doing random aspect ratio changes. Wow, um, what? Like just – like from without any prompting. Scene, wow. Just, just like boom, boom, boom. And I said, well and, – and and even like my son was looking at me like, what, what what's happening? And even so, your son knew it was in said, the wrong aspect ratio. He, he even so your
1: spushing. son knew it shouldn't have been in 4 by 3 it just looked ridiculous because it just made Paddington look like Jeff Goldblum
0: And I thought well I'm not I'm not going to watch flies. it So I thought I'm not going to watch Paddington That's going to really irritate me because I do like Paddington And uh, so I went off that and then Idly that later that night I thought well I'll just have A little look through, through what they've got So obviously I went to the horror section And the first film that was suggested To me was The Two Jakes
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Is that a <laughs> horror film? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think it's a Jack Nicholson film from the 1970s, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> in the well, 80s was it? Oh no, I think it was. I, I. It might even be 1990. Whoa, do you think so? I'm thinking about it, it yeah, was a I really late. Uh, it was that really late sequel to Chinatown,
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but I th- either way, not a horror film. So yeah, I sort was, of yeah, thought yeah, well, I'll, done. Done. I'll, I'll do a test here. I'll just go through some of the other, uh, the other, the other sort of genres, and, um. What would, what would you, if you were in a video shop and you saw the Manchurian Candidate on a film on a shelf, mm. under what section would you expect to find it?
1: Well, if I was in Blockbuster Video, then I'd probably find it under Thriller. I would imagine. Not, not sci-fi fantasy, then.
0: <laughs> not so much, no. Uh, no. Um, but but under Thriller, it's funny you should mention Thriller because under Thriller on Paramount Plus, you would find. Naked Gun, okay, yeah, yeah, yep. and the and the Nickelodeon nineties cartoon Hey Arnold.
1: Do you think what's happening here is that someone, <laughs> some staffer, has been tasked with uh, labeling okay. these films, and these are just films they haven't seen, and they're judging by like the cover or something? Like the Manchurian Candidate, if it's the two thousand and four version, then it, I think it's got quite a, like a dark, gloomy. Kind of poster, which I suppose could be considered, it might be conceived as sci-fi. What about let I'm not. Sh- what about <laughs> Lys 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 tied up
0: with yeah. the sky on a bullet? All okay. oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah and personal,
0: hey, Arnold yeah. is just at, like actively like a cartoon. it's a cartoon, so yeah, it's, happen, it's it. not. So, um, yeah, oh, that's I, bizarre. and. I went back about two or three days later and tried to watch Paddington again, which was the only thing that was really calling me, and I had the same problem.
1: There's just random aspect aspect ratio changes, and I, ju- I just gave That's up. So bad. Yeah. That's so bad. It, I, I it have make... noticed that with some of the channels through it, it's obviously oh, right, different yeah. servers and stuff. So you'll get different quality depending on which one you use. Like I remember when uh, Shudder was first around, and I tried that out, and It's fine now, Shudder, but my god, when it first started. We
0: both did, yeah. We had
1: some real problems there. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I think it does depend on, and uh, my wife watches Hey You um, on there, so that they just just don't give a hoot about any kind of, they don't care what aspect ratio or resolution it's in.
0: Do you think that it could replace Rakuten as the worst streaming service?
1: Well i the difference is i suppose is that these are i mean paramount there's no real excuse for paramount because it's not like a small company but i suppose these are all individual services so we can't overall i mean still prime is obviously the best but uh with recruiting it's like they built their whole that is their platform isn't it i mean that's their whole thing and it's terrible from end to end. So oh, right, okay. some would say the worst streaming service from end to end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, At least one Prime shirt will say that. <laughs> yeah, at least Prime has some uh some quality to it. Like, well, unless you're watching Hitchhike Hitchhike to Hell, which is clearly taken from like a two forty P YouTube stream, but there you go. <sighs> Correct you, Moses um yeah so the,
0: the other i did have two other things i wanted to mention these are th- uh, things that have cropped up um it, the other one is, is just from me just a quick one have you how familiar are you with the work of noah
1: baumbach i am fairly familiar i've seen a few of his films i it, interesting mentioned mention that because i i will be discussing one of his movies today is it white noise not that one it is why no, it's not that
0: oh hard. Do you know, do you know what then I'm not gonna say anything apart from i'll 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 sort of join you when you talk about that later on um, Yes. Uh, and the other thing is it was one of our regulars utah um which it was an interesting conversation because you i and he all have children uh, under the age of like ten and right. uh, apart from my son who's forty six and he he said that it was an interesting thing he was talking about uh the uh uh, certification of movies and how it's obviously changed over time, but they they don't. I don't think they reassess old films because he was he was thinking. Oh, I know. I'll sit down with the kids tonight. Uh, what well, I think they're five and seven or maybe seven and nine, and uh, he he said, "Oh, we'll watch Short Circuit." And he said, within fifteen minutes of putting on Short Circuit, obviously like Brownface aside with with um, Fisher Stevens, it they said asshole dumbass prick and shit, and shit was said <laughs> three times, and he was like, this isn't a PG, and it was interesting, because I reviewed Short Circuit on this, on the podcast, about five, six months ago, and of course, watching it myself, I don't really think of the certification of the
1: film, I often don't really know what it is. But it's you become just check irrelevant, it effectively, isn't it? Because I don't think that the BBFC, uh, I don't think that has any influence on streaming services at all Oh I mean, really No I don't think that you wouldn't find it attached to streaming they have their own they have their own certification as far as I know
0: And if they can't even put their films in the right genre
1: order what are they going to know about certification I don't it? know maybe they maybe they do I mean they no one has to use certification anyway but like perhaps they do just borrow from the BBFC I mean it's the simplest way of doing it but you're right I mean there are certain films where you watch them now and it's like no one's reviewed this one have they i remember back in the day it like shit was perfectly fine for pg mind
0: so you're telling me that there's no there's no sort of legal ramifications of, of like a child watching and, and it's like it's not it's it's just see if the police kicked down the door and i was like with my 12 year old son watching a woman
1: scorn sharon shannon tweet they couldn't say <laughs> mm, mm. i don't think there's anything what well, There's nothing legally Well, they could could make that noise. (laughs) (laughs) They could do. (laughs) But, I mean, the reason why, you know, you used to have, like, unrated films, didn't you? This is why X certificate was created. This is
0: like the 80s sort of um, video
1: message. Yeah, because I think stuff like, I mean, Jaws might have originally been X, possibly. Then I remember when it came, it was a PG on video, which I thought was astonishing, considering that Robert Shaw literally gets bitten in half. Uh, And then I now I think it's been bumped up to 12. But, but anyway, there's they basically, the idea was that if you didn't have a certificate, then you wouldn't, the cinemas wouldn't show it. That was the problem. it has to be certified so so that's why you need a certification of some sort if it becomes x certificate then it it will be shown in like basically adult cinemas and they're different kinds of places yeah the the prince of Wales in cardiff
0: um used to be uh well let's call them what they are they used to be a cocky and
1: um love that word by the way um and there was me thinking it used to be like a really elegant opera house but no
0: yeah, I think it used Just to be to a, 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 and uh, yeah, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, um said they used to go there, he used to go there to watch um like this sort of unrated like horrors and, and then of course it would be double billed, and he said he'd be watching films and wondering why he's surrounded by books, with like the brims of their hats pulled down with baggy <laughs> trench coats on. He's like, Why are they all here to watch this? And then the the film after it would start and it would all would be made clear. Um <laughs> so yeah that was just an interesting point so really the only way you can kind of police a movie like in a a trustworthy fashion is to just watch it yourself
1: and and judge it i suppose now it becomes less relevant now because it's you got like with streaming service you got like parental controls and stuff so it's like really it's just a separation between what's suitable for kids and everyone else i guess
0: would you would you recommend just saying i'll just go on mum's net and see what they say
1: Mumsnet. I haven't used Mumsnet before. <laughs> genuinely for advice. Oh, Really, it's astonishing. Uh, i just a not advice like deeply Christian to... conservatives. <laughs> no. um, some of it's quite useful, actual practical information. But no, I would not use them on like mo- like for moral guidance about what to show my child. No, I would not use it for that.
0: No. Daddy, I daddy, just like, daddy, go can straight we... to the
1: Daily Mail comment section instead.
0: Can we watch a Serbian film?
1: No, sen. No, not till you're 12. Let's watch a
0: Czechoslovakian one instead. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a Czechoslovakian film, actually. I don't yeah. know what kind of industry they've got with it. You, I, I'm assuming
1: it was more than three hours long. Probably. I, I don't know. The Some of the stuff you used to watch at university, like, ah, not, not being... Racist or xenophobic but sometimes i in my mind I wasn't sure if it was Polish or if it was Czech. You know, it all kind of blended into one really. But
0: what have you been watching, Rupert? Do you want to launch us into the stratosphere and tell us what you've uh, what you've been up
1: to? I've been watching quite a bit of Camp Cretaceous, actually the uh the Netflix Jurassic Park series, but I'm not that. It's not what I'm here to review. That's uh, the that's the
0: Savalas.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. You can you can son, talk about it if you want. I just my I'll son's just, obsessed with dinosaurs at the moment, so this, this is thing. familiar territory for me. Yes, yeah, yes. But I, it was too intense for him. It was quite full on. But I, I actually didn't mind it as a series. I thought it captured the spirit of the original film better than pretty much any of the sequels. <laughs> so, um, okay. well, anyway. what, what he, he,
0: Was he watching any Dino Dana or Dino Dan? That's where he used to get his teeth into
1: and arms and prime. Okay. Yeah. No, he he's he's obsessed with the good dinosaur at the moment, but I will cover that next time. Spoiler okay. alert. I'm going to I am thinking of covering a few children's films actually. Next well, episode. it's been a while. Yeah, let's do sp- it because I watched them I have to watch watched them 400 times each, so why not? <laughs> um anyway, but in terms of more grown-up films, I watched something on Paramount Plus this week. Um Okay. And the aspect ratio did not change once throughout. <laughs> you lucky bugger. <laughs> it's called American Gigolo. And this was it's made a Richard Gere film. Yes. It's a yeah. Richard Gere film from 1980, uh written and directed by Paul Schrader of Taxi Driver Fame. Uh yes, so it's got a very young, sexy Richard Gere who plays the eponymous Gigolo. He's a guy who's at the top of his game in LA, and you'd never
0: you'd never guess. By the way, just from looking at the poster that, that it was made in the eighties, you'd never
1: guess. Never. I'm watching <laughs> it. Watching it, you'd never guess. It isn't. They aged a day. <laughs> um, but what well, that's quite interesting, actually. But we'll come to that. Why why it's so interesting that exact time that it was made, like 1980s. So bear that in mind. But yes, so. Rich Gear, yeah, he's the gigolo. He doesn't need friends. He doesn't need to trust people. He's just in it for himself. He's at the top of his game. Uh, But then he falls for a high-class woman. uh, And at the same time, one of his female clients is murdered. And, you know, the net is closing in. And it starts to look like he's being framed by a powerful politician. Um, But it's also possible he may actually have done it he May actually have committed the murder. So this is a Paul Schrader film, as I said, and it is in the same vein as Taxi Driver in a way, because it's like this archetypal male drifting through this seedy underworld. And it's quite languid, shall we say, in terms of plotting. I mean, the murder plot kicks in after like 40 minutes, so it takes a while. Um, the, it, the soundtrack is remarkable, <laughs> Like there's so much disco synth in there, uh, and there's even a bit of like moog classical thrown in, like kind of w- Wendy Carlos type classical. Amazing. They literally go to like a, uh, like a an art gallery, but it's not like elegant classical music. It's just like this really awkward like moogy synth classical. And, and there's this thing. The kind of like the the main theme to the film is "Call Me" by Blondie. You you know the tune. And there are multiple versions of this song throughout the film. It's quite incredible. Anyway, lots of really, really cool shots of Richard Gere driving through neon lit L.A. streets. Uh, And you can definitely see the influence on the likes of, well, Nicholas Winding Refn, I guess. Uh, I'd say this is a similar mood to something like Michael Mann's Thief. So that's a good thing. Uh, As a character character. Piece. it's very good like it Richard is like it's quite an interesting character he's a very cocky guy and he just builds no bridges and takes advantage of his peers and it's all gonna kind of come crashing down around him I, and the problem with the film is is that the murder mystery part isn't actually that interesting and there's this whole thing about needing to kind of like it being a race against time before like the scandal comes out and I think that's probably the most dated aspect of it in a way that you'd get the newspapers like catching hold of this scandal Mm. and it doesn't really hold much fear these days. Like, you know, like reputational damage due to extramarital affairs is like, it's not really high stakes in our age. (laughs) Like, so it doesn't really have that much threat to it. It's very much of its time. This film, uh, Although he does weirdly attend like a climate change conference at one point. I thought, I didn't even think that was a thing then, but um, a male prostitute attends a climate change. conference. (laughs) Well, he's got connections. So he does. That sounds like the start of a joke. (laughs) Yeah, doesn't it? Um, So it's got the occasional, obviously this came a little while after taxi driver, but there are some occasional Scorsese like flourishes. Like there's this incredible, tracking shot that follows richard gear um into a building and through like a maze of corridors into this underground gay club which is like really throbbing to hard disco and it's like it's a really cool shot because you can hear the music getting louder and louder and then he it enters and it's like all done in one shot it's really nicely done um the uh uh yeah the disco itself has got uh, i i guess it probably would gay clubs possibly would have looked like that at the time but it's quite a shocker it's a little bit like the gay club at the start of uh gasper irreversible should we say um uh, there's a lot of leather around uh, a lot of thrusting right. um uh, yeah this is so yes american gigolo it's no taxi driver but it is a very interesting time capsule i would say and it is far more engaging than the aforementioned Drive by Nicholas Winding Refn. So, uh, but yeah, you know, if you like stuff like uh, like, kind of neon lit, very trendy for the time, synthy uh, atmospheric thrillers, then this is a pretty good one. It's just the murder mystery just isn't that engaging. So I almost kind of prefer if it hadn't been in there, but then I I suppose it would have been literally have no plot to the film then. Uh,
0: with with a film, I'm just <clears throat> thinking about the sort of sex out of it because obviously I mentioned um, a woman scorns Sh- Shannon Tweed, yeah. um, a film that I think I've only seen with my trousers neatly folded and pressed in a drawer in an adjacent room. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the, with the sex? Is it like is it kind of steamy or is it stylish or are they, are they just not uh, many of them? Are they not really?
1: It's. It's moderately steamy, I guess, I guess it will for be the time. Male,
0: is it sort of female-focused? Because obviously No. Well,
1: that is that is interesting, actually. It's, like, unusually focused on his as much on his body as anyone else's. And, actually, I think this may be the first mainstream Hollywood film to have full frontal male nudity in it, from the star, anyway. I mean, you don't – you barely see his tip, but because um, it's, like, such a long shot sort of thing. But it is, is – interesting that you know it spends as much time gazing at his form as any woman's should we say so yeah but it's not just about not really about male sexuality as much as a lot of it is focused on the female sexuality side of it it's like these are the women he's meeting and they're quite high class women but they're all kind of like bored older ladies who have extremely rich, busy husbands, basically, and they're feeling lonely and stuff. And um, But it's basically saying, yeah, these women actually do want to just have sex because it'd be nice and they want to feel wanted and stuff. So the character stuff is well done. All that stuff is really well observed. And that's fine. Uh, yeah. But just don't go into it expecting, like, a really twisty murder mystery thriller. But it is atmospheric. I did enjoy it.
0: Uh- i think i'll stick the color of night mate you see tip in that as well yeah you see proper tip in that <laughs> <laughs> proper man tip mate. you know i'm yeah i, I did like color of night um i might watch this film i've always kind of it's been on the on the periphery for me and i've I've never seen it I, usually sometimes when you bat films away and say that you, i don't know there's something about this i don't know if it's like the 80s set and the fact i really like richard Gere. yeah and and the fact that there's, it's the sort of squelchy synthy score. There's something mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I can imagine I'll watch this somewhat. I
1: don't, I don't think you've, you've, you've fought me off. No, I think it's worth a watch. And it's, it's one of those movies you want to watch. It's kind of a, you could watch it late at night. It's sort of like got that kind of like midnight atmosphere to it, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, it's just so interesting. Like that, it's so of an era, but a very, very specific era. Cause as we know, like, Disco, especially, was such a short-lived movement. And to have that combined with, like, synth as well as it went into the 80s is a very, very small window when that would have really been cutting edge. So it's quite cool to see it captured here.
0: Um, I like the sound of it because (laughs) I'm going to watch it with my eyes. Have you seen, I don't know if you've covered this, um, the, the horror movie Smile?
1: No, that's new, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, what did you see, uh, American Jiggler? Sorry. That is on Paramount Plus. So get up before your seven days are up. <laughs> no, they're, they're well up. And will I revisit mm. it? New. No. Um,
0: and the other thing I meant to say was as, as when I was just doing some, some, some research into American Jiggler, then as you were chatting, I noticed there's a TV remake starring my boy John Bernthal, a man whom I fancy.
1: Yeah, I heard about this. Um, it's not meant to be very good, though, is it? well oh, really and it only lasted one season as far as i know i'm not sure how and, and it doesn't he's really too, feel he's too rugged and to yeah, be honest it he's sounds not a, a bit a... like hung hung
0: was a better show i think
1: i don't know what, yeah i didn't when i saw it as john burnson i thought really i mean he's a good actor and it, i suppose he's got a kind of rugged attractiveness about him but the whole point of Richard Gere in this movie the whole thing is is he's, he's sort of, like, pretty, and he's not, and he's meant to almost have this kind of, like, uh, easy, kind of, elegant charm to him. I can't imagine Bernthal no. doing John elegance. did too rugged for it. When you saw that John Bernthal was cast in the television remake, the Savalis
0: remake, mm-hmm. did you think, oh, he's been, and then think back to my old religious studies teacher in primary school, Ms. cast? Yes I did. I you did think, did think that. that did you? Yes yes yes. Um well I watched I watched Smile um which is a film okay. I've, I think you mentioned before and I, you said it's got a really terrifying poster which is good it's a creepy oh, yeah, poster, poster, yeah. I didn't realize that Sosie Bacon was um was Kevin Bacon's daughter with with Kira Sedgwick. Mm. Um he's a, he just seems like a really nice man by the way. I don't know why but I seem to follow him on Twitter and he just like like seems to just real like pop and blues and just suggest like records for different, different occasions and mindsets. And he just seems to be on a farm with his family really happily. He's a nice bloke. Mm-hmm. Um Which is good. Um But yeah, I was, uh, so I, I watched smile because we, we haven't watched a horror film for a while. Uh, Faye and I, so I, I chucked it on and she chose it. And it's a, a, an extended version of a, of a short horror film called Laura hasn't slept uh, by Direct and this was directed and written by Parker Finn, who also did the short, and um, it it's it it comes very much from the sort of same vibe as it follows, which to me is still the king of these films, the, the these sorts okay. of high concept films. Where so the film starts off with uh, Susie Bacon's character who's a was a uh, psychiatric therapist, and she's in. Uh, sorry, I've got a cold again somehow. Uh, a woman comes in uh, who is just saying look i i see this weird end. she says it's unexplainable but then when we find mm. out what it is it's like it's it's someone smiling at you is what it is you could have said that you didn't have to say it was an unexplainable entity someone smiling at you yeah um, that is quite quite a concrete description really isn't it? <laughs> um so yeah so she, she, she's panicking and saying she's at the end of a tether and she's
1: seeing well they're in this sort of private room having this message. Hang, hang on the fact that the film can have a one word title which encapsulates the entire horror of the film and she is unable to describe what it is that's frightening her <laughs> think about that for a minute that's ridiculous there's Sorry, a
0: few, There's no there's there's a few other things that will be ridiculous as well as i, okay. as I make my way through this um so she, the, and the, as she's explaining this unexplainable thing she's obviously been reading a lot of H.P. Lovecraft um to to, to sosie Bacon's therapist character she just completely goes bonkers and sort of screaming as if something's attacking her and uh Sosie Bacon goes to the phone to say we need some help in here and by the time she turns around the girl is standing behind her smiling at her and she slashes her own throat Ooh. um and so she uh Susie Bacon uh, is, they say, "Do you want some time off?" And she's like, "No, no, I'm fine." But then she starts to ha- have 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 conversations with with people, and, and and time will shift, and that like she'll have a conversation with, say, her husband, and then and then when the conversation finishes, he'll arrive home from work, or she'll she'll see like a shadowy entity
1: smiling in the corner, sort of thing. Uh, and if, and the, if, if during my brief <clears throat> stint as a counselor. If someone had gone completely bonkers in the room, and then I turn around and they slash their own throat in front of me, I'd probably take a week off.
0: You were the counsellor for Danny on the Wall. Was <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh. <sighs> a dachshund called Colin there, wasn't it? One of the constituents. <laughs> yes um yeah you take a week or I mean, you at
1: least got outside for a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you at least wait for your neck, next client to wait it just i'll be at 15 <laughs> minutes hang on
0: it's yeah, gonna just gonna pop an extra sugar in my tea before <laughs> the next person comes in um but yeah so so what happens is it's this these escalating you know it, she's clearly having, passing a curse on or something basically yeah it's it? passing a curse on and she's she Fistful tries to kind of fob it off because she's you know she just believes that it's just it works having too much pressure on it and then she sort of goes into just trying to find out where it's from and all this sort of stuff and how she can stop it um which is kind of to be honest like that's fine that's with horror films of this sort of it's like here's the concept this is the film yeah Uh, you know what, what does Utah Smith say this is what's happening this all's gonna
1: happen it's happening it's happened <laughs> like that's <laughs> horrible. an action job and yeah. um it was a brief a screenwriting course wasn't it <laughs> yeah it was yeah three grand mate. <laughs> um, so so the problem with this is
0: she has got a like a family runner she's got a sister who's got her own it's sort of uh like husband and, and a son she's got a husband they they they're like completely well off she's got a supportive uh boss who is is the uh asian actor who I, I don't know his name but he's got a really distinctive voice and he I think he was in one of he was one of the interns in the TV series house with Hugh Laurie right. that's where I recognize him from so so she's got this kind of like support network and what happens is she even if you remove right the 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 supernatural element out of it entirely, she's having a breakdown. Like she's having a massive, very sudden breakdown from this yeah. extremely traumatic event she's witnessed, and like it's like she she's not willing to accept what, what you know that like she's like I'm fine, I'm fine. But everyone else is just seems like, oh, just have some time off, you'll be alright. And and it's it and it, it's instantly quite like sort of disbelievable if you're not you're like, you know, uh, mm. I, I don't think these people react like that. And there's one point where she's with her husband and she's in the car and she says, like, I need to speak to you. And he tur- she turns to him and she says, I think I'm having a breakdown. I think I'm actually having a nervous breakdown and mm. I don't And the camera cuts to him and he's in his chair with his seatbelt on and he's I'm doing it now, and you obviously can't see me. He's like looking at a sort of side on, but he's pushing his his whole body away from it, and his head back in the chair as if she's turning into a wheel off in front of him, and his <laughs> eyes are wide with terror. And and I thought, well, oh, this is obviously leading up to a jump scare. Maybe he can see this thing as well. But it's just how. We, and then he says, and then he just says, "Oh, I've got time for this," and leaves. And the problem mm-hmm. is with this film is everyone is. Everyone reacts to it in a in a really unbelievable way. It's not, you know, it's not like...
1: So it's she, characters, she, like, serving the script rather than yeah. script serving the characters or something.
0: Yes. it. And when she... Like, there's a scene in it where... I'm trying not to give things away because it's worth a watch as, as like, a ch- sort of schlocky throwaway horror. There's a scene in it where... Uh, sh- how can I do this without spoiling things? She's at a children's party. And nice. someone opens a present, and there's something in the box that isn't. Let's just say it isn't a, a toy train. And <laughs> she, it's a present of it. She's like, oh, "No, that's not what I. That's not what I wrapped." And 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 of course, this room is filled with people who don't really know it, right? She's gone to like her nephew's party, so there's just full of adults who don't know it. And she's like, "Oh my god, what's happening?" And she trips over a coffee table, a glass coffee table, falls through it backwards, and she really badly cuts Jesus. all of her arms and her back, right? And she starts screaming, and everyone is like looking at her, horrified, as if as if she's like a like a she's a complete mental case. And mm. I thought, you someone would
1: just help her up, you know, yeah. like she, they'd you, run did, for to aid her before. Yeah, before,
0: else. and like she's screaming because of the situation, but to everyone else, it's, she would scream because she's tripped into a glass coffee table and really hurt herself. And the film is full of little moments like this in it, and it kind of mm. really detracts from it because you think, well the if a, if a therapist is like quite dismissive and then her boss and then her husband's quite dismissive and her sister is kind of rightfully quite dismissive but then all these little sequences add up to make you think oh this just isn't a believable scenario overall
1: um, and- yeah because it's a it's a bit of a trope isn't it in horror films you know like well ever since Jaws I guess is like not believing there'd be characters who don't believe the heroes and all that kind of stuff but it's got. To, there's got to be motivation for them not to believe, and that's the problem here, isn't it? Like, there's no motivation for anyone not to, like, just act in a normal human way. Why? Why it, would th-
0: it, the biggest thing for me is like the husband because she she does flip off at him a little bit and says, "Oh, every time there's a problem, you try to pretend it's not happening." But the the sheer scale of this, right? If you imagine if your wife was a therapist and she said someone was killed and killed themselves in front of me today, you'd be like, Wow, well, are you okay? And if they said, Yeah, I'm fine, you know, it's just a shock. But then if they instantly started seeing hallucinations and, and just saying I need help, I'm having a breakdown, you would it's you would re- you would react to it when you'd be yeah. like, Wow, okay, I really need to. You, know. you have
1: PTSD, you need to be <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's
0: yeah it's not it's not it's not like up for debate. Uh so um yeah and, and the the final thing I'll say is the there's a scene in this as well where she uh when when the, the event first happens at the start of the film she's got a, a sort of a well it's made out to be like a clingy ex-boyfriend who's a police officer handily and he turns up at the hospital and says is she all right and they're like yeah she's fine go away she's engaged now she's you know she's in another relationship and he's like, oh yeah i know and he's obviously still kind of falling after and in love with her when a few days later she knocks on his door uh and says oh, I'm so glad to see you, please, I need your help, please believe me. He's suddenly just a different character, just like a really smarmy, dismissive prick. And it, mm-hmm. again, it was another step of, that's not the character you were introduced as. You're just, yes. like you say, you're just serving the narrative. And then he basically takes over the back half of the movie with her. Uh, and it. And it's like, the, the, this isn't a believable script at all, and it, and it does detract from some pretty cool, not mm-hmm. even jump scares, just pretty cool builds
1: okay just so not, it is just that was going to be my next question is it scary um it's going to be some crash cuts in this and there. it it's, it's i mean i don't mind i don't mind jump scares if they can if they can if the tension is good if it's earned jump scares you know that's fine
0: it's it's a tear down from it follows certainly oh yeah um but yeah it's it's a kind of serviceable horror but i i just feel i just feel like if they just look through the script and said oh let's just make this a little let it hang together a little bit better in reality then it would just make make the journey more fun than just a series of what feel effectively like set pieces right to ch- to chip away a mindset
1: where's where is this available
0: I paid cash money for this on. Oh, uh, this
1: is real money, isn't
0: it? Amazon Prime. I think it was $1.99, but yeah, I
1: think it's four quid normally. Okay. Okay. I I will watch this at some point, but I'm not in any mad rush. It sounds like it's not essential viewing.
0: The, the with it follow it, when it follows came out. I yes. was I thought yes, and I was hoping for like a. a just a, a trainload of other films with like really cool ideas where because this is probably going back to one of the very first podcasts we did where it follows came out and then the one of the producers said oh we're going to do a film where it's all about the origin of it da, 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 da. no 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 no, just carry it on because um, that's where the problems come in and yeah like just these cool high concept ideas 90 minutes boom 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 and it just never seemed to really happen for me or to the extent I'd like yeah. it so when this came out, I thought oh, I'll leap on this and then yeah it's just not as good
1: okay <clears throat> right well um I am going to talk about a film called the pale blue eye now it's got a couple of new ones uh nice. pale blue eye which is on Netflix <laughs> Sorry, just had to clear my throat.
0: You said uh, that like you said Netflix, and like, you there was a gap as if for fan fear. <laughs> There's know, gonna be no
1: fanfare. It is quite unusual to say the word Netflix though, but yes, here we are. Uh and this is a period set mur- murder mystery in which a detective played by Christian Bale is investigating a series of grisly murders. Uh at like a kind of army barracks. Um but yes, the murders involve also involve stolen organs, so pretty grisly. Uh, and to help him uh, uncover this plot, uh, he enlists the help of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, so yeah, uh, so quite an intriguing setup. Um, it's based on a novel. Quite a recent novel. But it's written and directed by Scott Cooper, who's probably most famous for Crazy Heart, the one with Jeff Bridges. Oh right, yeah. Um, and it's a bit of a disappointment, to be honest. Like, it, it kind of, it feels like it waters down aspects of every genre it touches, like the horror, the mystery, like the historical aspect, even the character drama. It's slightly TV ish character drama it all feels a bit watered down. It's beautiful to look at because it's like set in the early 19th century in uh, somewhere in New York state in winter. And the atmosphere is just lush. It's like, is it, I really like this candle lit pub they keep going back to, which looks really, really cool. So it's all very atmospheric, like production design wise, it looks gorgeous and it's shot beautifully. Um, Really impressive sets, some pretty cheesy and generic, like sub Howard Shaw music, and some very dodgy stick on facial hair. I'll add as well. Oh, Faye loves that, absolutely (laughs) loves that. It's, it's, um, but I don't know, maybe it's because it was like because it looks so crisp, you know, it's one of those films that really come alive in 4K. alas i do not have netflix hd so i have to put up with their standard streaming which is unbelievable uh especially in a film like this where so much of it relies on like like crisp whites and then like plunging blacks and it's like yeah i can see some pixels here (laughs) some pixels going (laughs) on they are dancing and yeah so it's a good cast uh with some a good cast of like uh, British actors mostly uh, he would have seen before again maybe that's what adds to the slightly TV-ish nature of it that it's like these people rock up and it's like this could be an ITV drama on a Sunday night to be honest but um, yeah Robert Duvall is 92 I know he is in it
0: briefly does he do that thing that, like a lot of old men do with it when they talk they just sound incredibly thirsty
1: yes all I'm gonna oh, do when I,
0: when I when I hit eighty, if I get there, all I'm gonna do is drink water, yeah. <laughs> so I don't just like sort of slop my way through sentences.
1: Exactly. That's all I ask for. That's all I ask for. Just let me sit in my chair and just give me a crate of Volvic um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> with a with a touch of fruit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. But anyway, yeah. So good casts, accents. Yeah. But I don't know whether the accents are actually, they may be, it may be that is realistic that have the slightly transatlantic accent at that time in well, U.S. I'm not sure. They all sound like Kelsey Grammer, do they? Basically. Uh, but my God, it is dull. Uh, it's really plodding and undynamic. And the actual mystery is bog standard. Uh, this there's this interminable scene where christian bale is like snooping around some dark rooms with uh, a candle like hunting for evidence and you're kind of waiting for the big kind of horror moment but of course it's never going to come it's just him wandering around this like study or whatever but you know what it made me think of actually while he was just this ed to... grab the
0: poster behind him saying should i turn the light on <laughs> yeah
1: um but it made me think of the scene in Naked Gun where Leslie Nielsen, like, sneaks into Richard Montalban's luxury suite and manages to, like, set fire to his entire apartment and, like, set off, like, the automatic piano and stuff. And I just, like, thought, that's going to happen in a minute. It never did, of course, because it's not really that kind of movie. Leslie Nielsen never turned up, really. It's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, um, so the mystery itself is actually revealed about 40 minutes from the end. And I thought, bloody hell, come on. Well, <laughs> there's not that many loose ends here. But yet there's another twist. And it is delivered in the longest exposition scene in the history of cinema. I'm going to watch it just for this. Oh, my goodness. Oh Well, so at least it's since the exposition scene at the end of Shutter Island anyway. But I would say with a pale blue eye on Netflix I would give it a go if you really need your fix of like early US settler scenery <laughs> but if on the other hand you just come off the back of like Glass Onion this will seem like a total drag as a murder mystery oh uh, yeah I can imagine. Well, the, well I, I didn't use laborious.
0: These, this like 19th century uh, <clears throat> sort of settler stuff oh my god it just reminds me of like Ravenous which is a film I need to watch again and talk about on the podcast. That's what I need to do. Stop messing around and watch Ravenous over and over again and just only review that forever.
1: I love the setting. I love the actors. I love the atmosphere. I just wished it was a different story being told amidst all of that. Did I noticed that uh, Gillian Anderson is in this film. Yes, she is. Did she Did she mention me at all? She wasn't she wasn't explicitly mentioning you. Uh I mean there was at the end of one scene where she seemed to whisper something and I I, I rewound it and uh I went through it very, very like the volume right up and she seemed to be whispering I fancy Brit. I don't know. <laughs> I yeah,
0: the closest I've got to uh, that event was when I Rewound a film I watched called Plato's Run uh, just to see if someone had pushed Gary Busey or if he just had a stupid run. Which is so he did, but he didn't
1: whisper, I fancy. Brittany, he was just you stupid. send me that clip. I don't know, he was was it like an it looked like, like an a, orangutan impression? That's what I, yeah, it
0: like. I'm gonna I'll talk about it later on, but before that, I'm gonna talk briefly about a film called Troll, not that one. Uh, this is another, I think it's another Norwegian film because there was one in like 2011, which I really loved as well. I don't know if you remember that
1: troll hunters.
0: Troll hunters. Yeah. F- uh, and that was a, uh, that was a really, really good horror. And uh, this came on Netflix. And as you know, I am a sucker for a monster movie and I clicked on it with my fists and, uh, and yeah, it remote was, control. Yeah, and then I, yeah, then I ordered a universal remote. Had trouble pairing <laughs> it with my TV, and then uh, yeah, and and gave and, up. And they gave up, and then just just read the script online. <laughs> um, so this is a, a 2022. It's a Norwegian monster film. I'm not going to talk about. It's directed by someone called Raw Uthaug. I think, actually, I sided with him in Skyrim in the Thieves Guild, if I remember. I heard his
1: name recently. He's been attached to some big project next, I'm sure. I'll find uh, out. You keep talking. Hang on. Oh, Christ. He directed Tomb Raider. Oh, dear. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I'm sure he's been attached to something else. But uh, yeah. well, you should you should be attached to this film because it's
0: it's a kind of a it, it's just a a very very good film really. I, I didn't know what to expect. I just wanted to see huge monsters, and I and I did. Uh, it it starts off with um, the they it's all set nowhere. They they're in this they're in this mine, and they they set off a series of explosions, and there's kind of this monolithic roar. And as the dust clears, footage from cell phones of a, a load of people outside filming the explosion it just shows this huge shape leaving the mine and they get a um, like a paleontologist a female paleontologist to come along and just look at these things that lead away from the mine because they appear to be footprints and uh, the the plot goes on from there and uh, it involves her estranged father who is completely believes in trolls and the mythology behind them and, and, mm-hmm. and feels like he's understood why, they've, why there's been a cover-up and why why they left and went into hiding and uh, they, they get the military involved and all, all the usual things. And this is the thing about this film. It does all of the usual things, but there's like a real heart to it. Um, the, again, I don't want to spoil too much. I'm trying to think of what I can sort of say, but the, you know, the, the relationship is in the film... Are all quite believable like the 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 paleontologist and her, and her father and, and, and the differing views, and also the 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 troll the the main troll of the film just his his journey and his, and his sort of quite primal reasons for acting the way he does and responding to the, the th- certain things he sees I just found it quite it felt like this huge tale in terms of scope in terms of the cinematography of it but it actually felt like a very little little tale at the heart of it a very sort of simplistic little tale at the heart of it and i really enjoyed that at Mm -hmm. the end of obviously the, the everything just ramps up and i question i question that a single soldier in the norwegian army could have a slightly differing viewpoint from his superiors and pull together what he does at the climax of this film. Let's just say that. Um, but aside from that, it is just, it looks great. Uh, the acting is great. It's incredibly lo- beautiful, raw countryside for a lot of it. Uh, there are some generally funny moments and it's got a big fucking monster in it, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is great. Uh, sounds like so, it takes all your boxes. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I didn't expect to get as emotionally involved as I did. Like hmm. when I watch when I watch film, like <clears> monster <throat> films, I just think, oh, this is, I just look at the monster, I think, oh, that's cool. It kind of brings up the teenager in me. But I, I was I was quite drawn to it on a sort of uh, emotional level. I just I really felt for the little bugger, well, big bugger.
1: Well, I so, uh, ever since King Kong, there's been this like subgenre of monster films which where you have that emotional engagement with the creature. Well, it probably goes back to Frankenstein, I guess even further so uh, that's
0: on netflix and if you like monster films definitely give it a goosey
1: um yeah he's not actually attached to anything i don't know where i got that from so but you know if this is good then hopefully his next one will be good as well. Well, he's actually working on Troll 2,
0: which is a sort of a bit of a departure from this one. It's just where he goes on Jennifer internet Huston. message boards and leaves really unpleasant comments on yeah. forums.
1: Oh right, okay. <laughs> um right. What's next? Oh god, I know what's next. I come to this. I come <laughs> to another new one on Netflix. Uh called You People. Oh, I, I was I almost watched this because
0: Eddie Murphy's in it, and then I yes. saw, I saw not even the trailer, the the the, the dialogue exchange between him and Jonah Hill, and I thought no, yeah, no,
1: oh yeah, well that's actually I think I know the dialogue exchange you're talking about, and I, and it's actually very much encapsulates the film, um, so this is called You People, uh, and. Honestly, if I see a more irritating film this year, I'd be very surprised. So Jonah Hill plays a wealthy Jewish twat with slick back hair and he falls for a black lady. And this happy couple must then try to get their respective parents to see eye to eye. So you've got the very strict Jewish Julia Lewis Dreyfus and the new age Muslim Eddie Murphy respectively and that is the plot by the way for a comedy which is over two hours so okay it's that it's an alleged comedy i would call it and i have to say i did chuckle a couple of times in the first 15 minutes but then as soon as it becomes like a culture clash satire in 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 quotation marks uh it is like nails on a blackboard uh it actually i'll go straight to the end it ends up being a supposed celebration of bridging cultural divides but the payoff is built on a foundation of just unbelievable cynicism like <laughs> that it, it's obviously the whole dynamic is about like this kind of culture clash between jewish people and african americans it's fundamentally simplistic for a start splitting black and white people into such a nuance free binary anyway but then it then it proceeds to like pit the dumbest stereotypes of each like the perennially angry permanently activist blacks against the most thoughtless guilt-ridden white people so that's the dynamic and the formula for virtually every scene is this right so you've got Black and Jewish characters meet on the screen. One character says something tasteless and inappropriate. And then there's like 10 minutes of unfunny, forced awkwardness and semi-improvised comedy backtracking and reaction cutaways. And it just goes on and on like that every single scene. But But that doesn't sound very good, Rupert. No, you'd be surprised by how bad it is. Oh, okay. probably wouldn't be that surprised given the reviews it's had but of course it's completely disingenuous bullshit because especially by the time you get to the totally incongruous unearned sentimentality at the end which by the way the ending relies on every single character completely u-turning on everything they've said and done up to that point so it's a real doozy that one like, it's like The cynicism comes from this, like, just total uh, refuting of the idea of colorblindness. So it's like stuck in this abyss of victim-perpetrator mentality where no one seems capable of basically acting like a human, of showing any empathy or compassion, where, like, at best, everyone is suspicious of everyone else's motivations. And at worst, no one can stop themselves just spewing bigoted bile into every sentence they utter and it's not funny ever. Like put it this way like meet the parents. It makes meet the parents look like an insightful dissection of parent-child power politics. There's zero implication that people might just be able to get along in spite of cultural differences. And certainly the idea that they might actually be eager to do that is just off the table completely. like even though that is the very fucking cornerstone of modern liberal society but no it's so regressive and it feels like it's like it's on a it's a conscious effort to reverse race relations by like 30 years or more and that's on one hand and then on the other hand it's just tasteless and dishonest and it doesn't portray a single like iota of understanding of how humans actually interact with each other it's it's like the equivalent of watching a twitter argument happen on the screen and on top of that the main couple are unappealing especially jonah hill's character who we're meant to kind of relate to as this regular flawed guy um and yet this is a man who goes on a stag do on his stag do go, gets lap dances from strippers and does so much coke. He shits himself. And this is, to, you know, cause every regular guy does that in his youth, don't they? So that's normal. <laughs> that is not what you did in your stag do, my boy. No, um, <laughs> but it's absolutely loathsome. And actually I think as a film, it's a little bit socially damaging. It's a film about racism that manages to be racist towards the entire human race. <laughs> So <laughs> it's probably terrible
0: damning comment you've ever said about a film on this podcast. I get vibes from you. what was that what was that film with that bloke with three names in that you hated the American heist film?
1: oh, what was it called? It was the one with bloody not John Burns or the other thug
0: he's got like a triple barrel name, but that was yeah. i that's the last film I can remember you getting this sort of visceral about so
1: well I mean that again was that had a really nasty cynicism to it um but that was also boring as i like but this feels like it's actually like just wrong (laughs) wrong about people about everything and and, uh, you could always say oh it's only a comedy but no because clearly like satirical comedies or alleged satirical comedies are meant to be some sort of reflection of the real world but so that we can laugh at it, but no, they got it all wrong from start to finish, and it's. It, I think it will actually like if anyone's drawn into it, they could actually be damaged by it. I think they would be worse people. So it's a yeah. threat to
0: us all. This doesn't sound very good. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't watch it as much as I. I say as much as I like Eddie Murphy, as much as I enjoyed Eddie Murphy once upon a time,
1: effectively now. Yeah. Well, the thing is about Eddie Murphy is that, I don't know if you've seen him in interviews. He's he's quite, no. a, he's quite a grouch. Not, well, no, I mean, he's okay, but he's, he, you know, like we talked before about, I think we were talking about Beverly Hills Cop and how he <laughs> really he didn't want to make Hills Scott three, such a comedy and stuff. And he wanted to pull away from that kind of persona. Uh, and I think actually he's not really the kind of like wacky comedian. We kind of know from his early movies, particularly, you know, he's, he's much more sober and dour. And in this film, he's so boring, like his whole thing. And he's unpleasant as well. He's just a nasty man and not, and he doesn't have any funny lines or anything. He's just like, he's almost like the straight guy sort of thing to Jonah Hill's stumbling awkwardness. It does this it, it give me the same vibes?
0: Is it like a kind of unscripted comedy? It's got a bit of that. It's got the yes,
1: the ah. Uh, so it's not very,
0: it's not very funny. Yeah, I'm with you. Not well. Very I
1: funny. I I think that's why so many comedies these days are too long. Is because. What they do is they obviously, you know, we've seen how like Anchorman was made. We've seen the outtakes and stuff. Yeah. And you can see that they'll try out a bunch of lines, which isn't such a fine. If you want to do it that way, that's fine. But keep one in, keep one line in and don't make, don't give everyone a turn. You know, the the problem is, is that with these films, they drag it out. Like it will be a one joke skit. And it is just one joke for the entire fucking film with this. But um but you know it will be like one person's reaction and then someone else will say something on top of that and they've obviously kept in what they think is the best bits but it's like you don't need five different people making a similar joke about the same thing uh just and it just drags it out bizarrely when
0: i when you when i type this into when you when i typed in new people into uh, google just to get up some details about it Mm. um the first thing that comes up is the fact that the see the kiss is CG. Really, they never actually kissed on set. And I was trying to, I was waiting for you to finish for that to make sense. But it okay. seems like it just it doesn't. The the main kiss apparently between Jonah Hill and and his like I guess his wife in this film right. it never happened. It's, it's it's CG.
1: Right, that's interesting. <laughs> well, I mean they didn't have any chemistry whatsoever. So, but you know that can happen, I guess. But that. Why why would, they, why would they CG the kiss? That's bizarre. Unless there's some, I don't know, underlying... I mean, you know, like in Bollywood, you'll never see them actually kissing sort of thing because it would be treated as cheating sort of thing. But oh, okay. this is meant to be progressive Hollywood. Uh, so that would seem a bit ironic given the theme of the film if the one moment of actual physical intimacy between not. I'm just really trying
0: out. to think if I came home from work and I said darling and opened the living room and I saw Faye like like reaching up to give another man a peck on the on the lips right I would like that would be a, that would be a serious conversation I'd ask that man to leave Bollywood if I walked in and she was in the middle of like a passionate dance sequence with another man I'd think hang on this is getting serious this <laughs> yeah. is this is like beyond a peck this is <laughs> yeah. like you've this you've exactly. obviously you'd been, be like you got could them, at least yeah. fetch me my tap shoes. One of my, my father's last words to me, never dance with another man. Words <laughs> words I've always lived by. Um he also said never look another man in the eyes when you talk to him, and that's why this is a podcast and not on YouTube. Uh so yeah, this this film just doesn't sound very good, to be honest, Rupert. Um and it's deeply unpleasant. You yeah. should have saved yourself like two hours and just done what I did and just like watched like the 30-second trailer and thought, no. Um that yeah, 30 second
1: trailer is everything in the film that is what it is it's everything like that yeah
0: no i'm not yeah this really
1: this this is uh, awkward comedies do not stand out for me at all so but yeah I'm, it's it's it is a comedy of awkwardness and i think awkwardness comedy is something that is very rarely done well because it can just come across as annoying and not funny a lot of the time in, you need a lot you need such good like observation skills to be able to pull it off but this doesn't have any observational skills whatsoever because it as i said it's just wrong about human beings can
0: i do two and one if that's okay sure uh one of them is just a, a, a tmt a two-minute trashing because you've covered it before black rain and watch this i guess and i put this on speaking I, of
1: I'm... neon <laughs> and synth,
0: yeah uh, um, the, the, the most beautiful thing in the world happened when I put this on because I put it on and as as it was starting and the 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 initial bike race that happens, I dawned on me that I'd never seen it. I yes. I thought I've never seen this. I just assumed I had, but I've obviously seen clips and heard people talk about it. Just assumed I'd watched it at some point. So I thought, oh my god, that I get to see like you know a key eighties film for the first time. Uh, And yeah, I know you've covered it recently, so I just wanted to say (laughs) I was watching it and we I said to Faye, I'm going to go in the bedroom and I'm going to get a uh, I'm going to finish off the film I'm watching. You can join me if you want. I was pairing up socks and I said, I'm just going to finish this film and you can join me if you want. But, you know, I'm I'm not going to turn her off. It's it's an action film you're probably not going to have an
1: interest in. So I'm just going to blow my nose for a second. and she she came in and i was just peering up socks and watching it
0: and she she said after a couple of seconds what what's wrong with his hair (laughs) and and it's an interesting point because michael douglas is here in this film it's like swept back but it it's like not just long on the top it's thick on the sides so where is that you'd think that they would have said, OK, we'll just you know, we'll just trim the size in, Mike. they just let it go. So his hair constantly looks like he's just taken off a helmet throughout the entire film. Uh, are you still there, by the way? Am I just shouting it to avoid? Yeah, I'm on mute. Don't worry.
1: Oh, sorry. I, I'm laughing at your observations of. <laughs> All right. So
0: yeah, it just looks. Like it's there. He's taken off a helmet. But yeah, just everything about it. The there's such a. I watched a few other films from the eighties and the nineties, like a uh, low to mid budget, uh, low to mid budget action films. And when this came on, you realise when well, there's quality in a film. where you look at you know mm-hmm. the actors, the the style, the music, the cinematography. You you you. It's very clear when someone's going to flay for something, and there there is. Something sort of uh, that elevates this because it it is just like a this this devil making coolness to the whole thing that is Mm. now now looking back it's ridiculous, but it's it's such a like a rewatchable film. I can imagine a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This like definitely, definitely Commando. Yeah,
1: it's basically Ridley Scott doing Tony Scott really in it. Yeah,
0: that's good way to put it. Yeah, it it just. uh, it's just so. It's just so like brilliant, and and I like how when he did the bike race race at the start, and the and the guy he beats is like, "Oh, you're crazy, man! You're crazy," and then that doesn't really come into the film at all until like the very end when he briefly, <clears throat> briefly yeah. like goes through like a rice paddy, uh, but on a on a on a pushy. So yeah, I just uh, it's just got this like sort of eighty style to it that I was yeah completely on board with. And uh, the, the other thing I want to talk about again, this is going to be a brief one, is uh, one of one of two kids films I'm going to talk about today, uh, if we have time, uh, called Dream Builders, which is a Danish uh, kids film. Mm-hmm. And have you seen this, by the way, just on your travels no, with your son? No. It, it was on. I don't think it was. I think it was was uh, Amazon Prime. But yeah, Dream Builders. It's a CG film where a father and his daughter who live really happily with this very animated Mm. hamster in a sort of a a a doer upper that he's he's living in Mm. he gets across his the 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 woman he's sort of dating uh and her daughter who's uh to 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 move in with him uh we're led to find out that her the the girls what's her name uh mina her mother is a kind of left the family when she was extremely young to become a country star and the father's like they have a really happy life the father like completely loves his daughter and they're really happy when his what his new kind of love interest moves in her daughter is an instagram obsessed kind of blonde dipshit effectively and what happens is uh mina finds that she when she goes into her dreams she she can kind of break into other people's dreams and watch she can alter their kind of thought patterns from what she makes them witness in their dreams, but it kind of bleeds into their, their, their home life. And it was like a really nice idea. But what I found about this was what bothered me about this is how clearly, like the whole thing in the dreams is fine. It's all fun. And there's these weird little alien things that kind of run the clockwork behind dreams. And it's all, it's all silly fun. But what really bothered me was her father does this thing where he, he, Whenever something's happening that's effectively really unreasonable against his daughter, he'll like uh, gesticulate, put her on a hat, and say, oh, "Put your happy hat on." Uh, what happens is throughout this whole film is his daughter's really reasonable, and he seems to be a really reasonable man, but his this this sort of his future stepdaughter, if you like, is just a mm-hmm. complete twat, and. <laughs> And so what happens is they're all kind of against Mina. They're all saying, oh, come on. Like, at one point, right, she's got this hamster. And the skill was, in, so I, was like, I don't like hamsters. And the father instantly says, oh, well, we might have to have it put down then. I, <laughs> what? It's, it's done it in a kind of... Small options. To, like, yeah, like, she she says, oh, we can't send him away. Like, you know, he's part of the family. And he's like, oh, well, we'll have to have a discussion about it. Like, it's a hamster. In a cage. Like, what? Uh, and And so... <laughs> the father seems really unreasonable as well, if you know what I mean, like everything is really weighted against this little girl and but all in, in this kind of, I found it a really slimy way, where it's obviously, mm. the it's like the film doesn't realise how kind of snide it is, that everything is weighted against it she's just trying to like have a happy life with her dad it's not like oh it's all up in the air and now she has to change her ways everyone is unreasonable like there's a bit where they spend a whole evening cooking this meal and then the girl comes in and says i don't want that we're going to order sushi and then the father says instead of saying oh, okay you order sushi we'll have this he's like oh we'll, we'll just we'll freeze this and have sushi as well then No, you've just spent an entire afternoon cooking a meal with your daughter, like a really happy family fashion. And he just comes across as just this buffoon. So when they're thinking around in the dreams and all the kind of the whimsies gone on, I'm just thinking, God, your dad's just this whining prick who just hasn't got a spine. And, And that part is, of course, at the end, it's all happy families and i just didn't it's like when the when the sisters when the sorry the sisters you know the two girls sort out their mm-hmm. differences, they're the differences then the sort of the adults are fine as well and that really didn't sit right with me because he was instantly just against his own daughter and the film doesn't like acknowledge it at all That's uh so so yeah it, it was uh considering it's just like a kid's animated thing it really pissed me off <laughs> <laughs> what's it called dream builders dream builders it's a danish film 81 minutes from 2020 and it was on i said that like amazon or prime but it's a it's a freebie
1: okay yeah is it it sounds a bit for more grown-up kids would i be right it yeah cool because it,
0: it's talking about like fractured families effectively it's kind of made light of but it is effectively about like fractured families and yeah
1: yeah um okay So, is it with.? It sounds like it's going to. I'm not going to be able to unsee that observation of yours. So, I don't know that I'm going to watch that. You you would probably be on it even more than I was. It's really
0: plain because at the start, like, they're they're so happy. (laughs) Like, they're so happy. And, like, the mother, like, leaving to start a country music career isn't even a thing. They're just really content. And she even listens to her mother's albums. And then when this other girl's introduced, it's like night and day. And uh, Mm. uh, yeah, it's it's
1: bizarre. Okay, should we talk about Noah Baumbach? Yes, please. Uh, I suppose. Well, we should clarify who Noah Baumbach is. He is uh, writer director. I suppose he's of the same generation as Wes Anderson. I know he's worked with Wes Anderson on a couple of things. He co-wrote Life Aquatic. uh, Unsurprisingly, you think about it. Uh, and something else um but yeah So Noah Baumbach he is sort of like a mumblecore com- comedy writer director so he made things like Greenberg the underrated Greenberg and Francis Haar and Mistress America he also did Marriage Story quite recently which I haven't seen yet because I think it'd just be too depressing it's the one with Adam Driver and Scarlett Hansen arguing two hours so um, it looks pretty miserable um, And He Is married to Greta Gerwig Who is about to release Barbie which I think is going to be quite a big movie This year He, he co-wrote that as well Anyway so that's Noah Baumbach and he made this film White Noise which is on Netflix At the moment uh, uh, Not that one by the way <laughs> Um, So I hope you noticed like the way I dated this for when this film is meant to be. I know this film was set in 1983. Maybe it even tells you at the start, but I noticed this because Kral is showing at the cinema. Good. <laughs> yeah, I did spot this. Yeah. So this is about, uh, so it's set then and it Adam driver <laughs> with like a paunch. He, he teaches a course called advanced Nazism at college, which is funny in itself, but uh, and when, like one of his kids is even named Heinrich, uh, but um, he he seems very much in love with his wife, um, and has a happy family life, supposedly. And but then this airborne toxic event, uh, basically kind of what industrial accident, causes like a statewide emergency, and then this happy family is temporarily dislodged uh, to like a camp, and it's a traumatic experience. And then the second half of the movie is the aftermath uh, and the event, the airborne toxic event has triggered all kinds of revelations within the family and all sorts of self-reflection. And basically the facade of contentment in this family is shattered by this. uh, So it brings up all kinds of things between, especially between... uh, Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig, who plays his wife, with ridiculous hair. Uh, so you've seen... Did you watch this as well? I watched some of it, which is okay. what I wanted to talk to you about, yeah. Oh, did you stop watching it for a reason of quality or because you ran out of time? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I, well, my, my approach to this was... Uh, we, we we made food and faced said, i choose a film to put on, and I looked at it and it said, comedy... You know, and I, I like Adam Driver. It was like comedy. Adam am driving. I put it on and it is not the kind of film you watch as you're like chatting and eating the Chinese. No, basically. it is not. What, what I found was uh, just just really quickly before you carry on. <laughs> it, it felt very uh, stagey in that like the cameras were swooping around groups of people talking over each other uh, and sort of in a really a naturalistic way. And and I thought I'm not this is a film I need to sit back and really focus on. And uh, it wasn't the film I wanted to watch at that moment. And after about 25 minutes, I, I was actually on the one that said to fail. Can we turn this off? Because I'm just aware that it's just, this isn't the right situation for this film. And yeah, I just never went back to it. Because I wanted to talk to
1: you about it first. It's an important, yes, it's an important thing to be able to do is to turn a film off when it's not the right moment for it. But you should find the right moment for it. Because it, I quite like this. and it Wait, wait, wait there, you mean... I wish you'd said that to me about 18 years ago when
0: one of my ex-girlfriends was talking to me about how her parents had separated and how her father Mm -hmm. was trying to deal with extreme loneliness in this new life after her mother had moved on to another relationship and I genuinely, without thinking suggested watching About Schmidt (laughs) and we did and she cried she cried, she cried, she cried
1: (laughs) Uh, good film though
0: and that's funny. Like, yeah. But, um, I,
1: think I, th- I get in a certain mindset to something for yeah, it this. It not- some- <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting you mentioned the kind of swooping shots and um, kind of overlapping dialogue because that's quite a key clue as to what he's kind of getting at here. I haven't read anything about what, what Noah Baumbach was trying to do, but it's very unlike his other films because he tends to use quite. Well, from what I've seen, is quite static scenes uh, with lots of well, kind of mumble dialogue. It's like mumblecore cool comedy, isn't it? So, but this is interesting because he's it's shot like an '80s movie. It's like the whole thing about the family getting together and the camera swooping around and they're all like talking over each other. It's classic like Spielberg type thing. Something Spielberg did really well in his '80s films it was like do that overlapping dialogue stuff and just to kind of create a mood Uh, and it's quite deliberate here you know like it's shot like it's not just the costumes and the sets but it's also like the grainy quality of the image and the lighting and the the tracking shots and and the zooms and things it's because this is basically like an 80s family adventure movie but shot through like the lens of the excessively verbose internet generation it's like It's a simple plot and it's got this bold cinematic clarity to it but it's like the whole thing is stuffed with like endless chatter and arguing and misinformation uh and yeah and and it's like adam driver and greta kirk they're interacting in this sort of like almost screwball rehearsed screwball kind of uneasy way almost uh of married people and then this catastrophe occurs and the family is like faced with something meaningful and certain with i.e death basically and it just injects paranoia into everything there's a this brilliant scene where they're, they're just desperate to keep the family unit together. So, like, literally there are sirens going off and people, like, go, calling through, like, megaphones, get out of the house and go to, the like, the nearest, like, camp sort of thing. And they're just tr- still shoveling food onto the kids' plates and, like, pretending, like, oh, now it'll be fine. It will just move off. But, um, yeah, so it's all about death, really, and how this kind of, like, uh, the realisation of their mortality should kind of well it should make us all value and communicate properly with the people we love around us and not just kind of like be on this kind of like almost like automated clockwork of a family unit working together Um, basically it gets them to communicate essentially especially the parents and I'd say the film does, it does move into more standard Noah bound back territory towards the end. And I think it does lose its nerve a little bit. But I think it's a really smart movie and it's worth it, possibly purely for the scene where <laughs> Adam Driver and Don Cheadle, who's brilliant in it by the way, they're both professors and they have like, sort of like a dance off, they have like a lecture off where Adam Driver is making a speech about Hitler at the same time as Don Cheadle is making a speech about Elvis. And it's like this weirdly exciting like cinematic spectacle, which kind of sums up the whole film really, because it's like almost like non-sequitur dialogue and stuff. But it's like, it's so excitingly made and shot like an action movie that it doesn't really matter what they're talking about. It just, it's just hilarious that, they, they that put this that s- scene together. That scene really
0: tickled me. There were two scenes that really got me that I saw, and that one was because it's almost like you say, it's almost like a dance sequence where they yeah. they're talking kind of at odds with each other, but it's almost like who who knows the most about their their <laughs> chosen topic. Yeah, and and there's a bit where like Adam Driver kind of gives him this like nod as if like everything's going to plan, and he leaves, and then Don Chino like continues this like really lengthy monologue, and then you just hear Adam Driver's voice, and they and he's wearing this weird like sort of. Like sort of university cape thing, and um, and then you hear his voice, and then they they all turn around, and he's like coming in through the window and continuing his monologue against. And it's like, well, this is brilliant. And the other bit that really tickled me was um, just a scene where Adam drives in bed with Greta Gerwig, and she she turns towards him, and he like pulls her close, and they're having this conversation, but you can't you can't really hear what she's saying because he's she's like. She's faced, the way they're sleeping is he's like flat on his back and she is sort of face down in his armpit, like that's just, uh, like but but like comfortable with it. So she's like mumbling into his armpit and he's like, "Yes, that's right, darling." And it's like that that can't be how you sleep because she she'll die, she won't be able to breathe. Uh, that really tickled <laughs> me. But that's when I realized like, of course they kept me going and then went as the film went on. I realized right, this is not
1: for now. So I, I need no.
0: to. I don't want to waste this by thinking. It oh, that really
1: it. Like obviously, we're both familiar with, especially having very young children. Like you sometimes put on a film, and you're thinking, "I actually want to watch this." (laughs) Like it's one of those movies, so it's not—it's one you have to concentrate on, and but not because it's particularly sophisticated in terms of like plotting and stuff, but just like the humor is so like subtle, and it's all to do with like Adam Driver's reaction to things, stuff, and just little just little comments people make. It's just, it doesn't have jokes exactly. It's just funny. Uh, I want not say funny situations isn't even there. That makes it sound like a sitcom. It's just, it's just all about the performances and everyone being on the same wavelength, if you see what I mean, about the kind of the brand of humor. It really won't be for everyone, to be honest. And to be honest, you know, if you, if you don't like, Noah Baumbach films and you probably won't like this one but this probably isn't the best route into Noah Baumbach's work possibly it's something like Greenberg with Ben Stiller it's probably a better entry point but I really liked this I thought White Noise was good and I want to watch it again because I feel that there's it's the kind of movie you'd watch and there'd be key moments you'd miss because the key moments are just in like a glance or a single line
0: yeah, I know he It's means a million
1: times the film that you people were, you people was.
0: Um, I'm going to get back now on my home ground, if that's okay, and talk about a 1997 Gary Boosie action film called Plato's God, Run. It's about bloody
1: time. You know,
0: Gary Boosie had a bizarre, bizarrely lengthy like career as an action star when yeah. <clears throat> he seemed to have no real, <laughs> no real
1: like verve for it. <laughs> Just no, and I think there was a point at which he he didn't have any, he didn't really have like a gym routine either, did he? So he, he's not like he was like really buff or anything. He's just like, he's quite a broad-shouldered man. That was it.
0: Yeah, like in this, he's got a bit, he's constantly wearing Hawaiian shirts over like white vests in this, like billowing Hawaiian shirts. Um yeah, so this is I'm just this is one that is it's directed by someone called James Beckett, written by James Beckett, and it's just someone who did nothing else because I I watch this and you know, sometimes you watch these well I sometimes one sometimes watches these action <laughs> films and you think, Oh, do you know what there was something there, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch yeah. some more I'll find Actually, out what else
1: Mark L. Lester has done. Yeah.
0: Well, he did direct Ulterior Motives, which um was the film I watched a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, where there was a private detective and he, he runs his business from like a Chinese takeaway. He's got like a desk set up in the corner. That was uh but that was that wasn't very good. Um mm. so the w- whereas this is totally different is really good. So mm. the plot for this, and I made notes for this in the next film. Cause this this came by the way, the reason I've come across Plato's run well, on my next one, Warhead. Uh not that one. Because my brother turned up uh last Tuesday and said, Oh I've got Here you go, and he gave me a stack, a fistful of 10 pence charity shop DVDs. Oh, thank God. And I I said, okay. And I opened, like, under my, you know, my sort of uh, entertainment centre to put them in with the rest and thought, right, I need to start cutting through these again because I've got about 30 now. So... I watched a few of these, and, and so these are the two I watched this week. There'll be more. Um, so the the plot is that Gary Boosie is, is kind of an ex you know, an ex-Marine, and he's got his gang of buddies that they, they go around drinking with, and he gets pulled into one last job. I don't know if this sounds familiar to anyone at all out there. He gets pulled into one last job, but he wants to just be with his daughter, really. Um, And this job is to go and rescue a... uh. A, 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 like a, I guess like a, a Colombian sort of drug lord's son who's in prison, and take him back. And what happens is he he requests, uh, gets him to escape, takes him back to the Colombian drug lord. But then the guy, he's just the son who he's just rescued, shoots his father and frames Gary Busey for it. So, but because he is, this the drug lord is po- posing as a a sort of genuine businessman the police then say right south florida everyone's out to catch Gary Busey because he's a you know he's a man on the run he's killed this upstanding citizen uh and that's the bulk of the film uh, roy scheider is in this film as well as a someone who is an arms dealer but he specializes in mines uh which plays a big part of the film and what he's doing is he's selling these mines and then when mm-hmm. wars finish he is Selling the technology then to kind of dig them all up afterwards. So he's getting money from both ends really Um, So but so this this the soundtrack is just either steel drums or wailing milky guitar, which is completely fine Uh, It starts off with a bar fight, which I've shown you a video. The music was
1: by James Horner
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's probably by James Beckett. He's done everything else. <laughs> um, so it's a bar fight at the start where Gary Busey like pushes someone into a wall, and then by the way, that whole bar fight is someone getting punched in the face. Gary Busey in a POV shot, pushing someone against the wall, and then doing that weird orangutan walk, and tagging someone, and then it cuts to them outside, and Gary is saying, oh, that was that was great, just like old times, and I thought, "What, well, pushing someone into a wall, and then doing a silly walk, is that what you did in the Marines, <laughs> was it? That's probably why you're not in them anymore. Um, uh, uh and uh, and so the whole film is it's actually quite action packed, which is good. Because, you know, it's all set on location. They say they're in Columbia, but I think they're just out of Florida somewhere in the in the in the keys and with all the um what are they called? Not the is it the Everglades with the hovercrafts and all the swamps and oh, stuff? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's all that sort of good stuff going on. <clears throat> there's a scene where they realise that Garabusi is becoming a bit of a handful, right? And it cuts to Roy Scheider. Scheider or Schneider? Scheider, isn't it? Scheider yes, yes it's Rob Schneider and Roy Schneider, and it cuts to Roy Schneider, who is uh, this kind of take no prisoners uh, arms dealer and he's he's in this compound where this the finale of the film takes place and his henchman says to him how should we deal with him shall we kill him and I've written this down I've rewatched it back and recorded what he said and Roy Schneider, with a cigar like in his hand not even looking at his henchman looking out of the window says with a man like this, violence doesn't work. We'll use sex. <laughs> it's
1: called <laughs> start, one or the other, isn't it? <laughs>
0: I'll, start, I'll start that again. <clears throat> with a man like this, violence doesn't work. We'll use sex. Not the actual act of sex, but the promise of sex. The promise of sex with the guarantee of violence. And his henchman sort of nods knowingly and walks off screen. Uh, Narrow eyes at uh, any point? Uh, and uh, doesn't say, oh, the old shag and shoot. Because <laughs> no, I just thought if I said to someone, if I was a henchman and I said to my boss, my very dangerous boss who like, will kill his henchman at the drop of a hat, shall I just shoot him? No. We'll use sex, but not the actual act of sex, but the promise of sex. The promise of sex with a guarantee of violence. One, you would think, well, you've just said that violence doesn't work, but then you've... Yeah you've said something that ends with well violence and and secondly like specifics because what what does that
1: mean so is it uh, pro- so is it sex with the promise of violence no it's, it's 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 the promise of sex but the guarantee of violence rupert okay but you're not letting the person the subject to this do they know that there's going to be violence or do they just think there's going to be sex <laughs> I would assume
0: that the like, well the thing is what's brilliant is the 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 film moves on and it ne- this is never
1: referenced. Like, okay. It's never they can never straight quite straight reconcile way. what that actually yeah. meant. Okay.
0: Yeah, so uh and so this Rush Sch- Reusch- has got a minefield, an active minefield in effectively has garden on this compound route. Okay. And th- there's Jeff Speakerman who I mentioned earlier on actually does all the heavy lifting in this. Where it comes to the uh, you know his uh, Garibusi and his daughter get kidnapped at the end, and his old team come to rescue him. But there's a Jeff Speakerman does all the heavy lifting. But anyway, there's a point in this, and I, I watched it back twice because I thought I I felt like I was missing something, right? So, and again, everyone, I apologize for this this cold. It seems to be getting worse as the podcast goes on. Um, Roy Scheider says, "If you can get through this minefield to the water and pass the alligators, I'll let you go free." And he says, yeah. "You've got ten minutes," and this scene goes on for longer than ten minutes. I'll tell you that for free. It's the end of the film. So Gary Busey and this guy uh, are on their hands and knees with twigs, and this is what they did in the you know in the army, right? They they were sort of they searched for mines. And they're going along, and they uh, and then Gary Boosie, at one point, through various reasons, steps on a mine and it clicks, and he's they both stand there, and what they need to do, because Gary Busey's standing on the mine, but the guy he's with, his friend, is better at decommissioning mines than he is, and he's got like this cool little toolkit in his belt he uses to do it. They need. To, they need to switch, right? He needs to be in the other position. So Garibusi needs to get off. The, sorry, he, his friend needs to get off the mine and Garibusi needs to get on it, right? yeah First start, they say the mine will go off if there's more than five pounds of pressure difference. And if you could see the silhouette of these two people, right? Garibusi claims he's 14 stone. And then the other guy's okay. like, oh, I'm nine four, And he's like, oh, I'm 198, so that's fine. So that's not really believable anyway. But what happens is, if you and I, right, if I was standing on a mine and then you yeah. said, right, you need to get off it and I need to put my foot on it, you'd say, OK, well, how how would you do it? How would you time that? So, like, I lift my foot up, you put your foot on. How would you how
1: would you arrange that? Uh, I, with great difficulty, but I guess you'd have to get it. I don't know. Like, You'd have to get one foot on top of the other or something, or slide it underneath, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, um, so you'd have to be like, one, two, three! Like yeah, that
1: it would be right it level. would be an yeah. instant thing before yeah. the pin shoots
0: up or whatever, yeah. What Gary Boosie does, and I had to rewind it because I thought I must have misunderstood that, but no, they they actually act this out in a protracted scene. Yeah. He says, he looks in his friend's eyes and says, right, we're going to have to switch here, right? They do the whole, like, five pounds of pressure thing, we're going to have to switch. Which switch are you have to stand on this? You count back from 100 in groups of 10 and I'll count up from 0 in groups of 10. What? So okay. you've got them looking at each other's eyes and one's going 90 and he's 10, 80, 20, 70, 30. And then when, they, why? When, when one of them hits 100 and the other one hits 0, then they switch their feet. So you can imagine that goes on for a while for a start. And secondly, like, why would that be suggested? <laughs>
1: why would why so it just you, count the same way? Yeah. And from why 10, why 100? If you're going <laughs> to do it in blocks of 10 anyway, why do 100? You might as well just count from 10.
0: Yeah. Or, or three, like three, two, one, yeah. switch. Because that's what happens if they switch their feet. So yeah. it, it's like, what? why Why are you doing it so you've got two people looking at each other's eyes saying opposing numbers it's just really clunky uh, and that's like how the film ends effectively like they, they do that and then they have a bit of a comeback and that's it but that said i i'm focused on the, the key notes i've made here but it's it's a good film like it's a good action film because it's so odd like yeah. i get the impression that it's almost like Gary Busey has a say so all these f- things that he does that are really odd and clunky and random and like seemingly off script. I assume it's just because he's the star and he's like, oh, I'm gonna do this. Yeah. Or I'm, I've inserted this, so it kind of makes it like there's a scene where he, when he's on the run for the police, he, the local sheriff, who's like this bumbling idiot, Gary Busey bumps into him on the road, and Gary Busey says, "Oh look, I'm not." I'm not actually like this killer. I'm actually deep, deep cover for the CIA. And the sheriff goes, oh, I guessed it. Yeah, I thought you were. And Garby's like, yeah, so that's why you have to let me go. And the sheriff says, oh, so like all the drinking and all the women and all the, and all the bad driving, all the time wasting, pissing everyone off and all the constant fighting, that's because you're undercover, isn't it? And there's like a beat that passes. And he goes, yes. And it... And it really tickled me, but I don't think for the reason the film thought it would. It's just the gap and the way like, yes, that it is all explained by me being undercover for the CIA. So that was a generally funny part. But, um, yeah, aside from that, it's just a pretty throwaway mid-90s actioner. But it's, it's definitely worth a watch just for the kind of idiosyncrasies of the script.
1: Uh, Robert O. Ragland was the composer right and you know what else he did the school for no a film called warhead in 1996. piss off the next film i'm going to talk about (laughs) yeah oh my god if you look at to be honest you could look at robert o raglan's like filmography and uh, it is astonishing some of the films (laughs) some of the films on the list, there are films here i've not heard of but like titles like alien from the deep uh, too fast, too young, evil obsession. Oh my god, this is just oh the, the um, final funny, combat. The
0: the the amount of films I've watched uh, that my brothers give me, and they start with either production companies of like Hollywood DVD, New Image, or Prison Leisure. It it it, it doesn't yeah. So that's that is amazing because I I've actually made the same comment that like it's steel drums and wailing guitar again. <laughs> so that is brilliant. That's brilliant.
1: Okay, yeah. So you watch Warhead as well? Is that another of these?
0: Oh, shall I? Shall like, I carry on? This is my final. thought.
1: Oh right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I've only got one more as well, so you might as well just f- finish with Warhead. I feel like we've set it up nicely. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Um. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> let me just find the.
0: Sorry, it wasn't quite prepared. So I'm just gonna. Uh. Oh my god. I can't. I can't even find it. I can't. What? Ooh. Probably called something else. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. So this Warhead is a film that stars Frank Zagarino and Joe Lara in one of like three or four films that they were in together. One's, one's a goodie, one's a baddie, and Jack Frank Zagarino looks like sort of like a like a Keach brother that didn't quite get him with with mm-hmm. Stacy. Uh, but so this this is a film where it starts off and it's lots of stock footage of effectively skinheads and Nazis uh, and like a uh, Hitler sort of rallies and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and it says, you know, this is a, it's set in modern times, like 1996 in LA, but it, it's like, where This is a, you know, the, um, the, the, the KKK are, are rising. And uh, this guy called general Kraft, uh, played by Joe Lara has, has got this paramilitary group that is growing in size and they've taken over a silo and got this nuclear warhead and it's, it's getting serious and Frank Zagarino and his team are called in to put a stop to all their shenanigans. And this film, when I was watching it, it felt like a, almost like in some moments like a sixties TV movie. Uh, in like the mm. the action and stuff, but there was something about it that was so compulsive that it's made me want to seek out the rest of <clears throat> Frank Zagarino's films because he he's kind of a troy McClure character that he looks like he's in his forties he's got this like bl- sort of highlighted blonde hair uh, and this just it's like he's acting like he knows he's in a movie uh like for instance it starts off. And it's them finding out about this paramilitary group called the U, it's like the United Patriotic Movement, the UPM. And this 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 errant general called General Kraftplayer, but uh Joe Lara. And he turns up with his team and it's like a woman, uh, like a, a sniper who they keep calling a spotter. <clears throat> like, you know, a guy with a shotgun, all this, and they go in there, and it's just, just jokes like the in a a pitched firefight with this very Mm. serious paramilitary group who got a nuclear warhead and the spotters making jokes about the woman's ass and they're all on the register it's a great ass isn't it oh get your hands off my ass i i haven't got my hands on your ass yet i'd probably be a bit more serious if i was in the middle of a firefight to be honest and someone was telling me where the enemy was but the director to this i'm not sure who the director is the director of the movie uh mark roper who did very little else he likes explosions and not only explosions people like being launched out of cannons in these explosions they're the the things the stuntmen do in this film and it must i made a comment on a stunt later on they're literally in a shed and they get launched out i don't know how and it shows them flailing through the air so it's not a dummy and then they'll just like land in a load of trees or on a load of rocks and you're like that that must have hurt (laughs) (laughs) so they just didn't care so these explosions and they're all in slow motion so you can really really drink it in so that was quite entertaining and then the, the the way the narrative moves forward right so they they take down this this sort of cell of this group apart from general Kraft, who then it just cuts and he's on a plane and he slashed the pilot's throat and he gases Everett in the back apart from a senator that he then kidnaps but then when the the way the cameras the camera sort of shoots this plane, there's about six or seven people in the back. He says, oh, we, we're hitting turbulence, pull down the oxygen masks. So everyone pulls on the oxygen mask and this gas pumps out of it. But then all of the soldiers die, apart from this one senator, and you're like, well, how, how would that work, really? Because hmm. it's like, it's a gas, isn't it? It's in the air. It's not like <laughs> it, it's going to be in this cabin. It's a and like, gas. And then when the camera shows him coming through from the cockpit to the back, it's like a small passenger plane. So like a private plane. So it's like the size of like, say my living room. So they can and he's looking over his shoulder and like smirking and cartoonishly giggling at this gas he's releasing, and they can just fucking see him. Like he's just there. The cockpit is open. And the guy he's killed is clearly dead with the government <laughs> blood with his arms hanging down by his sides. The, the soldiers would be like, You've slashed his throat. And you're like <laughs> laughing and releasing gas and stuff, like a Batman villain from the sixties. So <laughs> uh, so he he leaves and then they they turn up to sort of uh What's his name? Uh, Frank, like, L- 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 what's his name? Was it Lagazzarino or something? Frank Zagarino turns up yeah. with, a, with a bomb disposal expert. And say, and they say, oh, this is, there's a, the gas is like under the plane. It's wired to blow. I'll cut the red wire. And then Frank Zagarino just cuts the blue wire. And then the bomb disposal expert says, you're, you're crazy. You could have killed us all. And he says, oh, he, he knew we'd think that. Uh, he knew we would go for the red wire, but there were three wires. So what? why did he feel so confident just cutting the blue one? And, 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 like, why didn't they just, instead of just randomly cutting a wire, why didn't they actually look at how the bomb was wired up? Uh, and then, so the film goes on. There's a bit where General Kraft, the main bad guy, says to, uh, when they're, like, Talking to Washington D.C. and they're trying to talk him out of setting off this nuclear war to the to the president to blow up the White House. He says, "Anyway, I've got to run." And then he actually runs on the spot for a few seconds on like a metal gantry so they can hear it over the phone. Like she says, "I've got to run," and then he actually runs on the spot. (laughs) Okay, Um, so yeah, the music. Well, Faye described it as sounding like every time the music kicked in, it was like a JRPG like battle scene. It just, just kicks okay. in. Um, <laughs> there's a bit towards the end where where there's a they're in like a they're fighting in a dam, and Franz Zagarino is trying to look after one of his team called PJ who's been shot, and they they General Craft says, Oh, just flush him, just kill him, flush him." So they basically open the floodgates of this dam, and and again, this is what I thought like the stuntmen must have just hurt. They imagine, and this shows this, it just shows the footage. There's no, it's not like dummies. These two stuntmen are flushed out of this dam and they through this really rough waters and they are, and then they reach the end, which is just a concrete wall about 15 Ooh. feet high and they are just battered against it over and over again <laughs> uh, and, until it kind of like the momentum stops and they're like pinned up against it because of the rush of the water. And I thought that's just extremely dangerous, surely? Like, w- just show dummies, just show dummies and show
1: it from further away. Um, there's... It's good for them to show show commitment.
0: Yeah, fair play, they earn their
1: 15 quid. It, it is, made me think of it like when you were saying earlier about how the obsession with the explosions and how, like, explosions are almost like, I, I see them like stunts in themselves now because, like, so many stunts these days are done, obviously, with CG, like, yeah. because it's too dangerous or, or whatever. Whereas there's some real pleasure in watching, like, like 90s, especially action movies, and just watching cool stunts happen. Like, that's where the real craft is sort of thing. Like, when you know, like when you're watching Maniac Cop 2 or 3, then you're just like, the plot makes no sense whatsoever. But there's <laughs> amazing set pieces with just genuinely impressive stunts in them. And it's the same with explosions, because, of course, nowadays you can, all the big movies, they, they'll do all their explosions, at least massively augmented with CG. Yeah. But to see something properly blowing up, like a warehouse or something, it's just like, ugh, I need to see that. Or a car, of course, for no apparent well, reason.
0: Well, honestly, this film is, you know, I've got a few more things, to say, but you're fair play, like they're not. They're not shy. I'll have to look at the production yeah. company for it because it, it was it was entertaining, silly but entertaining. E
1: M entertaining.
0: <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, the, the last two things I had to say were um, there's a there's a bit towards the end when one of the plot points is that this 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 girl come when Franz Sagarino has kind of been taken off taken off the case because his team have all been brutally slaughtered. He just goes to this ice rink route and it's just another like every scene is just a set piece where you know something's going to be amazing so he's just watching this ice hockey match going on and this woman approaches him this like pretty woman in 20s and says look i've been told i can trust you my father is a nuclear scientist that has all the codes for the nuclear warheads and he's been kidnapped and i think that they've they've kidnapped him so he can like launch this nuclear warhead and i think i know where they are and he's like oh piss off love what do you know? And then they try to kidnap her literally in front of him. Instead of waiting until she's out of the building and then just shooting her, they try to kidnap her in front of him, in front of this, like, American hero. So, of course, that leads naturally to them all jumping into the ice rink and then kind of skitching off the back of the players and, and, like, trying all to fight over this gun, which is just being used as a hockey puck. Uh, mm-hmm. That this, as if like no one realises what's going on like the game just carries on and they, they don't realise they've got a gun instead of a hockey puck and it's this brilliant secret. it's preposterous but it's just, that's kind of what the film is like these ridiculous set pieces one after the other so that helps. and then at the end of the film when this woman is like reunited with her father and, and bear it in mind we watched a film the other day didn't I where I said that it's like what the film shows you it just backtracks. Oh, the one—the one with the um, postmortem with Charles Sheen, where I said that like that guy's dragging that woman down a down an alleyway and like shouting at her. And then when they meet up, he's like, "Oh no, we're just friends out for a walk." And you're like, "No, you're not, you though, because I've just seen, I've just seen him dragging you off, and now you're acting like your arm in arm mates for no reason, just because, just to make it look tense. This happens in this film, where general Kraft has got this like scientist father this nuclear scientist and he is forcing him at gunpoint about the codes in and the guy's clearly panicked and doesn't want to be there and at the end of the film there when his daughter and and, like frank zagarino turn up to like rescue him he turns around he's like oh what are you doing here she's like i've come to rescue and he's like no it turns out he's just a massive racist a massive racist completely on board with this like regime and she is like what and I thought I reckon you would have noticed, see, over the last thirty years, your father like not holding really liberal views. It's like it's like but well, we've we've just seen how he's acting in front of these people. He's terrified. But then when you turn up, he's just suddenly like really balls in like, oh I want it to happen, I want lord to launch a new you know, fuck him. Uh, and and he literally does it. they come over here speech. So that was that was ridiculous. But what really tickled me was a bit in the film where Frank Zagarino says he's broken into silo two one eight and he's going to launch a nuclear warhead against Washington. And then someone says oh, not to be stupid because you know the American nuclear silos are the safest in the world. You, 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 there's no they're they're impregnable. They're fortresses. And Frank Zagarino says, "Give me a three-man team and I can break into any nuclear silo in the world in two hours." And I thought, gracious. what if it's a three-hour drive though? What? What if it's uh, a <laughs> Well, you're saying well, in two hours you could get into any building anywhere in the world from now. What if it was in Australia, Frank?
1: I think the phrase under-promise, over-deliver applies here. (laughs) So, so
0: yeah, Warhead and Plato's Run, classics. Brilliant. Yeah, definitely worth a goosey for the fans of PM Entertainment and Canada Films out there.
1: Excellent. Okay, well, I'll finish up with... uh, Tusk, which is on Prime, has this got Justin was, Long in it? It has this is okay. 2014 box office bomb from Kevin Smith. It's a horror comedy about an abrasive podcaster played by Justin Long. Uh, oh, the other guy on the podcast is Hayley Joel Osman. Um, so this podcast, Justin Long goes to Canada to do, you want to see, he goes there to do a mocking interview basically with a kid who accidentally chopped his own leg off and caught it on video. <clears throat> he ends up not doing that. He ends up abducted by a crazed old man who intends to turn him into a walrus. Uh, so sort of like kind of like uh, what, what's, what's it called? Human centipede type mad s- scientific thing, I guess. Um but in this case of walrus, So it's typical Kevin Smith's like oddball characters with lengthy monologues, except it's combined here with some pretty gruesome body horror. Justin Long does what he does best, which is being an obnoxious Cretin who gets his comeuppance. It's very similar to his part in Barbarian, in fact. Uh there's also parts for Michael Parks. Michael Parks, of course, if you're trying to remember who he is, he was, was it, Earl McGraw? Uh, I think that was his name from, from Dust Till Dawn. So he was Earl McGraw. And then in Kill Bill, he played Earl McGraw. And then in Death Proof, he played, yes, Earl McGraw. And so, also
0: in We Are What We Are. Did oh, we yeah, are what we eat. He
1: played. No, he didn't play old McGraw. He <laughs> played, played someone else. Um yeah, so he's in it. Uh a Lady called Genesis Rodriguez, Heli Joel Osman, and Johnny Depp turns up. Of course he does. Uh, Why wouldn't a he? Cop with a r- ridiculous French accent. The story is remarkably thin, uh, and really the runtime is like fleshed out by long, talky scenes which range. From the occasionally appealingly irreverent to tediously pace crushing. It's never outwardly funny. I did quite like the observations of like irritating podcast culture, like with the edgy bro humor and incessant self promotion and putting on stupid voices and accents and just this general disdain for humanity. That kind of rang quite true. I think as far as this being a horror movie goes I think Kevin Smith gets the wackiness and the grossness but he he can't really bring the real horror to the table there's something about the pace of his tension building or the way he reveals the horrors it just doesn't have the manipulative control that a master of the genre would bring I would say and I'm thinking maybe it's because Smith's main currency is that irreverence like I'll never really believe there are any genuine stakes because of that. Uh, because it's almost like, you know, it's Kevin Smith and I can't take him seriously. Uh, it's, it's better than most of the Kevin Smith films I've seen, but like I've only seen like three of them. So I'd say it's recommended more for Kevin Smith fans than it is horror fans. I would venture because so I think it's a horror film. It just isn't particularly good. Well, as a film, it's not particularly good, but it's not. Terrible. It's a five out of ten. Is this yeah, they did another one called Yoga Hoses or something, didn't they?
0: Something like that. Where I think it's it's part like the trilogy, trilogy of one. Yeah. yeah. So I do, yeah I, I, in that I, was really awful, so. Yeah, I don't I, I I have no interest in I kind of lost interest. I I revisited Dogma and and More Rats and I thought, no, nah, I'm just kind of it, it just represents a part of my life that it, it isn't really there now. I don't need to see these things.
1: I think Kevin Smith lucked out <clears throat> in a way by being part of that wave of American indie directors in the mid '90s. I suppose sort of like coming on the coattails of uh, what well, people like Tarantino and, and and that. So like, and I suppose a little bit later, Wes Anderson, people like that. But the difference is, is that Kevin Smith doesn't seem like a brilliant writer or filmmaker and i think he must be at the point now where he's like crowd funding his films which is fair enough because you know that mm. shows that he's got a core audience but it feels like that's where the place he'd be like for example if i can't remember the guy's name the guy who made ter- the terrifier films because they're basically crowdfunded as far as i know, and. But that's kind of like what you'd expect from the start of a career. But I guess if you've got a core audience who are all going to watch everything you watch. Uh, Yeah. So if you like Kevin Smith films, probably like Tusk. I'm I'm probably not going to watch that. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I like horror movies and, and I like horror comedies, but I appreciate the fact that horror comedies are very, very difficult to get a balance if you see what I mean and mm-hmm. I don't think he gets it there's more Kevin Smith here than there is horror so not great
0: I'm just going to call it we're, we're on the we're on the uh Arkansas section of the podcast and I'm calling one I've got my half okay okay so I've got one name already but we're going to go through the uh do you want to do yours first so the, the last last episodes podcast um Arkansas was to get from Michelle Pfeiffer to Art Malik. And how did you do, Rupert?
1: Well, I got it in three steps and I got it very quickly and I feel like it, it was too quick. I feel like I, I should be able to get it down to two, but I couldn't. So three steps is Michelle Pfeiffer is in Batman Returns with Michael Goff, who's in Batman and Robin with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's in True Lies with Art Malik. Are you ready? Are you ready for it? I am ready.
0: We, we had, by the way, before I, I carry on with this, I just want to say that we had uh, a really a, a really good response. Like This, this is invalid because I think uh, the person uh, misunderstood the rules. So this is from Andrea, uh, who's an air traffic controller. So I assume her favorite film is Pushing Tin by default. Um, she misunderstood the rules of like it has to be from like actor to actor, so on. Uh, and she said... Michelle Pfeiffer was in the remake of *Murder on the Orient Express*, and Art Malik narrated the podcast version of it, <laughs> which impressive. is amazing. That's just an impressive, you know, right? um, impressive knowledge and a bit of trivia. But that's almost like a, a, a it would have been a default winner if uh, this week. But so yeah, it's actor to actor. So podcasts don't count because podcasts are just pieces of shit. Who bothers with them? Exactly. Uh, Another response from someone called Stu, who said that Art Malik was in True Lies with Arnie, who was in Batman Forever with George Clooney, who uh, starred with Michelle Batman Pfeiffer Robin. In, in One Fine Day. Batman Robin, was it? Yes. So, sorry, Rupert. Uh, Utah uh, regular says Michelle Pfeiffer uh, was with Christopher Walken in Batman Returns, uh, Walken to Arnie in Welcome to the Jungle, uh, or the Ooh. rundown with the Rock and. Sean William Scott, and then Arnie to <laughs> Art Malik and True Lies. You'll, you'll notice there's a theme between Malik and uh, True Lies here. Uh, Mike says, Art Malik was starred with Arnie in True Lies. Arnie with Danny DeVito in Twins, and then Danny DeVito to Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns. Transval says, this feels cheap, but I'm going with it. Uh, Art Malik is in True Lies with Arnie, who's in Batman and Robin with Michael Goff, who's in Batman Returns with Michelle, which I think is your was your way as well,
1: wasn't
0: mine, it? Yes, yes. Laszlo, our occasional co-host says, hey babes, I have a three-step for you. Michelle Pfeiffer was in What Lies Beneath with Harrison Ford, who was in Raiders of the Lost Ark with John
1: Rhys-Davis, who's in The Living Daylights without Malick, so that's a bit oh, cool. That's a good one, because I was desperately, because it's the only other film I could think of without Malick in it, was The Living Daylights. And I was trying to think, ah, uh, I really, because I knew everyone was going to go the route of True Lies. Oh, I mean, they yeah. have
0: to, don't they? They have uh, wh- to. Wh- one comment on that as well is uh sorry uh Mac, and then the last one is max said i've got it and it's a route others have gone i'm guessing malik is in true lies with arnie arnie is in twins with danny DeVito, and danny DeVito was in batman returns with michelle pfeiffer yeah, that's good. Uh, john reese davis who is 78 years old now uh is in a podcast called batman unburied and uh, yes. he plays a character in that, and uh uh, it should be called really that podcast. I've listened to ten episodes of it. It should be called Batman Spinning Out more than anything else. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that that's a good podcast if you fancy it. Uh, the problem there's a, pos- there's a new Harley Quinn podcast as well, which is all right. So, yeah, the the problem with I've realised with these like audio narrative podcasts mm-hmm. is that when everyone's talking, it's fine, but when it comes up like the Batman action, it's just lots yes. of grunting. It's just lots of like sort of like rustling capes so and then someone going, oh my ass, oh, oh my bollocks. So it, it's like just get back to the narrative because fighting is boring when you're just listening to it. Um, and so, yeah, it, we come to the so everyone had three steppers. There was like no, no. four steppers, everything was a three stepper. Uh, so I'm going to call by default Andrea, the air traffic controller pushing tin fan, is, uh, is the winner because of that little bit of trivia. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah, which fast. is that's brilliant. So, um, I'm be breaking the rules. But, uh... Uh, hash, hash rules that are written down nowhere and created by me so they are flexible as Michael Flatley's tootsies Um, so yeah the next arc is done then I want to go from Roy Scheider to, and I'll let you choose the other half of the puzzle
1: ooh, Roy Scheider to uh, Adam Driver is that is that too much to ask? no not at all the thing, yeah, there's a
0: few, i mean Roy Scheider, we mentioned uh you know obviously he was in Plato's run, so you've got like a huge
1: you can go Jeff Speakman. You can go whichever you want. <laughs> Boosy. Little Boosie <laughs> connection. Yeah. Um Right. Actually. So, it's when they're from different generations. That's what that's where I like that's why I thought I'd go with Roy. Yeah. Uh, I thought and I thought roy right. has been gone for quite a while as well, so Adam Driver would be starting his career after.
0: What would I Roy's last film be? The Punisher, two thousand
1: four. It would have been around that time. when oh, right, oh, was he? When did he die? Two thousand six, before twenty ten. I'm sure it's a while ago, wasn't it?
0: I assume you're looking this up because my arms are folded. I in the am.
1: <laughs> I am looking it up. We showed it. 2008. God rest his soul.
0: So what is your film of the week then, Rupert? It
1: is not you people. (laughs) That's my film of the century. Uh, (laughs) Well, it's a toss up between white noise and American gigolo. Uh, i think american white G- noise surely just from sitting here but surely white noise i did like it uh but it it wouldn't be for everyone so i would say yeah but american gigolo like is probably the more accessible movie i would say but i think white noise is yeah it it's it seems like a film i could watch multiple times and get something from different from it every time, which is good, Uh, especially for a comedy that's impressive. Whereas American Gigolo is just like, it's a cool synthy thriller from the early eighties. So that's fine. With a shit mood of mystery plot. Yeah, that is a disappointment. Yeah. I'm going to go with white noise. I just think with white noise, the idea of combining like a very, very subtle form of comedy with like really, Bold, like '80s adventure film styling. It shouldn't work at all, and yet it does somehow.
0: Well, <clears throat> my film of the week. Um, I I did like *Platinum's Run* and *Warhead* for for you know s- sort of silly reasons, but just uh, I think *Troll* just because yeah yeah it, it was the, the the emotional impact of it, which I, I didn't expect and I and I thoroughly enjoyed. So white noise and troll, good,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: and that is it until the next one. So uh, yeah, everyone's got to get from Roy Scheider to Adam Driver in as few steps as possible. And uh, if it's like, oh yeah, actually, um, Adam Driver narrated the audio book of Jaws. Uh, if you think about it, <laughs> uh, yeah, that that'll be that would be a turn up for the books. Um, so yeah, much love. Have you anything for you
1: next week? Have you got? You're going to do a lot of kids' films, you said. Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking it because you know it's quite a big part of my life at the moment. So, are I, we going to talk about Zootropolis or? We can talk about Zootropolis. That is a favourite. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not for that. About that absolutely. Um, I'll try and cover some lesser known ones as well because we don't really need to talk about Toy Story. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought. Um, no. yeah. I'm looking now at the
0: pile of films I've got from Transvaal, and right. God knows what I'll be talking about.
1: <laughs> Hopefully, they've all got Frank Zagarino in them. <laughs> Hopefully, none of them have the correct title on the box when you actually boot the film out. <laughs> I can't believe that the same guy did the music in Warhead and Plato's around. That's incredible when I looked it up. fantastic. Looking up to see if it's James Horner, it was not. <laughs> Cool.
0: Right, well, have have a good evening. Uh, Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.
1: All my love. Farewell. And none of mine. Yeah.